What does it mean to connect to your future at Lake Michigan College? They connect you to your future opportunities. They partner with local industries and employers, ensuring their programs align to the needs of the community's workforce. Lake Michigan College can help you get to the future you want. Visit lakemichigancollege.edu. Hello. My name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest and with respect is Bart Goldberg. Bart is an attorney. He is from New Buffalo, Michigan, and he is uh, the Democratic candidate for the 5th Congressional, the U.S. Congressional District in southwestern Michigan. Actually, it's uh, all across Michigan, the, the lower part of Michigan. It's a, we'll be talking about that strange kind of a district in a little bit. But at any rate, um, we're going to get ask him about his background and uh, what do you want to do with his office if he if he wins. This is John Smetanka, and with respect, and our guest is Art Goldberg. Bart, how are you today? I'm great. Hi, John. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well here. Thanks. I'm fantastic. It's a great day in uh, southwestern Michigan. And I'm interested. Where are you from originally? Louisville, Kentucky. What brought you from the, from the, the bluegrass state up to Michigan? Yeah. Well, I uh, grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I actually spent... Uh, summers and things in a small town by the name of Berea, Kentucky, but uh, uh, lived in Louisville. And uh, then I came to Chicago to go to college and then law school, both at the University of Chicago, and uh, lived most of my life in Chicago Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, didn't move to Michigan uh, until we bought a, a second home here in New Buffalo, maybe seven years ago, intending to uh, retire there eventually. And then, like so many people with the pandemic, we learned that we could work just as well from here. So why why stay in Chicago any longer? Uh, sold sold the house and, and uh, moved here. So I have not been a full-time uh, resident uh, of uh, New Buffalo for very long, John. Well, it's a great place. It's a very interesting community, New Buffalo is, and was a part of the old 4th District um, and the 6th District, depending on what uh, decennial census it was. Uh, but it's, uh, the, the stretch of the district is, is much different this year with this decennial census than it ever was before. Why don't you d- give us a description of what this district looks like? 
I, I, I call it a submarine, John, because that's what it looks like. It goes from uh, a lake to Shining Lake, from uh, Lake Michigan, where you and I are, are, are at, all the way to Lake Erie. So it includes all seven counties that run along the southern border of Michigan, uh, those being, uh, uh, you know, Berrien, Cass, St. Joseph, Hillsdale, Branch, Linaway, and Monroe. And then the, the top of the submarine is that it goes north a little bit in the middle, picks up Jackson County, most of Calhoun County, but not the uh, west, uh, the northwest corner, which would be uh, Battle Creek. Does I mean Kalamazoo? It doesn't include that. And then uh, uh, Kalamazoo uh, County, except there, it only gets a sliver, Vicksburg and uh, Schoolcraft. Well, you know, that is uh, a shock to a lot of people who are, the whole, dis, the whole uh, census uh, and the redistricting has been very, uh, I won't say traumatic, but <clears throat> puzzling to people because they have to figure out where, yeah. who their representatives are, who their senators are, and whatnot, and it's, right. it's a, bit, a bit confusing. But anyway. Yeah, it is. So, it is. It's a big change. I mean, I run into voters all the time that uh, just don't know about this yet. And, uh, you know, of course, our prior representative here was Fred Upton. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that's a completely different type of political animal than uh, uh, the incumbent that I'll be running against. Right. So tell me, why is it that you want to run? I mean, that's, there's, you have to have, um, I always say you have to go see your psychiatrist first to make sure yep. that you are sufficiently insane to, to want to run for, uh, a, in this case, a congressional office. And I'm being right. facetious. I'm being somewhat joking facetious because I did it uh, some years ago. Uh, but you do it for a reason. And sure. you're ready to take the hits that you're going to get. Um, and the, 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 in your case, long driving uh, to get around the district. Uh, what, you, what are you doing it for? Why? Well, you know, I had run for political office before in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, you know, and, and I don't mind telling you my age, John, I'm 64. Mm -hmm. Uh, just had a birthday a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, when I moved to Michigan, I never intended to do that again. That was certainly not my intent. What did you, what did you run for? In Illinois, I had once run, uh, for Alderman, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there I had the uh, uh, I, I was running against uh, a, a member of the Cullerton family mm -hmm. uh, that controlled this ward for 85 of the past hundred years. And uh, uh, so that that didn't go so well. And then uh, uh, some years after that, I ran for uh, a state Senate in uh, uh, Illinois. Uh, so. Anyway, I wasn't planning on doing that again. And then I got here, and the thing that motivates me, you know, far more than anything else, well, I guess really it's twofold. One is just the belief that once you've reached a certain state of life where you can really afford to give back, you need to do so. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I'm 64 now. My daughter's out of school. My wife has a very good job. And, uh, you know, financially, 
I can afford to run. I mean, sometimes people say, you know, why is it that we don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, good 33-year-old candidates running for uh, uh, Congress? And the answer is because nobody asks anybody to run for Congress in, in most of these districts. You have to stand up and volunteer and be in a position where you can take at least six months off from uh, your career and your family to be able to do it. So I'm in a position where I can do that. But the, the reason that it would be worth it to me is this. Uh, I, I'm sort of a, uh, a nerd in that I, I read a lot, John. And, and, you know, well before January 6th, I was really concerned that our democracy was just hanging on by a thread. Uh, and as a result, when January 6th happened, and uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that it could have been a lot worse than it was. We dodged a couple of bullets that day. Uh, I just feel that it is so important to try and do what I can to you know, uh, you know, save this form of government that we've had for, uh, you know, uh, approximately 250 years. Uh, a, a lot of people think it's just a given that our democracy will last forever. And I'm here to tell you that it's, you know, it, it's nearly exactly the opposite, that there's never been a democracy that survived for as long as ours has. And unless we really take some important positive steps, uh you, you know, uh, it, it, it's not going to. So uh, I just felt that it was my duty to go out and try and do what I can to, uh, uh, you know, I, I know it sounds uh, uh, too, uh, too self-important, but to, to do what I can to, you know, preserve our democracy. And then in particular, what happened, uh, John, the, you know, the, 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 the last, uh, straw, if you will, is that in my district before, the representative had been Fred Upton. And, and Fred is a, a moderate Republican. He's somebody that, while I would disagree with him on most issues, I had to respect the man. After all, he voted to impeach Trump, and uh, he, he voted to approve of the election results. Well, due to redistricting, Fred wasn't going to be in this district any longer. He was going to be in a district north of here. And uh, it became apparent that uh, the Republican was going to be a six-term incumbent by the name of Tim Wahlberg. And uh, Tim is somebody that I view as you know, hardly the source of the problem, but a, a uh, in, a, a prime example of the problem. He's somebody who plays partisan politics uh, and uh, makes the what I call the, uh, uh, the partisan war worse all the time. And he's someone who endorsed by Donald Trump. He follows Donald Trump. He uh, uh, and, and in my view, the thing that he did that's essentially disqualifying was that he voted to reject the election results on uh, January 6th. So when you put all those things together, I just felt like, uh, hey, it was my duty. I've got to do it. i got to uh, take, you know, uh, uh, dedicate six months of my life to trying to do what I can to bring people together and, uh, 
uh, take on Tim Wahlberg and hopefully uh, provide a, uh, a better represent representative in Congress. Well, you know, that's interesting because there, he's a new person to this district, and uh, not a lot of people uh, have familiarity with him, so I presume he's got to be out and about trying to figure out uh, uh, who he can talk to to explain who he is. But I, I want to come, come to you, and I said, all right, here's the deal, Bart. Whatever your your motivations are, you're going to do something when you get into Congress. It's not just, um, you know, I get elected, and great, the country's going to come together, and uh, the sun is going to shine, the, the, the storms are going to calm, and whatnot. You've got to have something that you personally want to do we know some policy some the environment something you know something that distinguishes your uh candidacy and your thinking from other people and uh, maybe tim is a tim Wahlberg is a good uh, uh person to to work off of but what is what does bart goldberg uh stand for well i, I want to talk to you about that and, good. because I, I care so much about so many issues but I kind of have to disagree with the premise of the question. All right. The one thing that I'm talking about is so much more important than any given policy, and that's that I'll have the guts to ratify an election no matter what party wants. And, and that's incredibly important. Uh, in 2024, we're going to have a presidential election again where, in all likelihood, Donald Trump is going to be a candidate. We're all aware of what he's been doing in terms of of uh, uh, getting supporters installed in various state offices uh, to uh, uh, try and uh, uh, you know put the thumb on the scales in terms of election results, but it could very well come down to the people in Congress at that time, and we can't have people like Tim Walbert. He is not going to give a gosh darn about who really won that election. And we're not going to have a country any longer. So when we talk about issues like the environment, you know, that's the only one that, uh, uh, you know, one could argue is important as this because uh, the environment is, is permanent. But any other issue pales in consideration because I honestly believe that the future of our democracy is at stake. I, I think we were very close to losing it in uh, – 2020. I mean, you think about if Mike Pence hadn't stepped up that day to act the way that he did, what would have happened? Here in Michigan, in Antrim County, uh, there was a, a county clerk who made a reporting error and reported 2,000 votes uh, uh, too much for Biden. Fortunately, she was a Republican. Had she been a Democrat, I think a lot of those people that like to stand out in front of our state capitol with guns may have, uh, uh, you know, fired off some rounds. So I think that it, 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 it's, it's just not true to think that there are other issues that are equal. Uh, so when you ask, you know, wh what is the most important thing that I want to do, that's it. Now, the, 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 the thing that goes along with that is I think the only way to protect our democracy long term is for people to work together again. And, uh, you know, I'm a problem solver. I'm going to, uh, 
in Congress. I want to join the Problem Solvers Caucus uh, that's uh, made up of equal amounts of Democrats and Republicans that try to actually, you know, find bipartisan solutions. But if you look at my website or any of my material, and it's kind of funny because the, the name of your show is With Respect, my motto is listen, respect, and deliver. And that's just, that's exactly what is so important to me and why I'm running. I'll listen to and respect everyone. I've been out on the trail now for, you know, four or five months and met a whole lot of Republicans. And, and, and a lot of them, they just want to walk away and, and, and turn the turn their ear when they find out that you're a Democrat, but a whole lot of them talk to me, and, and they get the idea that I am a person who really does respect them, and if we don't start doing that again, uh, uh, you know, uh, this partisan war is just going to get worse and worse, so that, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. All right, well, listen, we're going to take a break now, um, and we're going to come back, and we're going to fish out uh, flesh out some of the uh, some of the points that you've raised. Uh, this is John Smetanka, run with respect, and we are talking today to Bart Goldberg, who is a, a, a Democratic candidate for the fifth congressional district of Michigan, which stretches from Lake Michigan on over to Lake Erie, with zigs and zags uh, on some boundary lines. But it's a long district; it's uh, not as wide as it is long. So, we'll be right back with Bart Goldberg. back on with respect with Bart Goldberg. Bart is the uh, candidate for the Democratic Party for the uh, 5th Congressional District of the state of Michigan. And he is um, a resident of New Buffalo, uh, has run for political office elsewhere before, so he uh, probably already had his uh, his uh, mental health checked at that point. I've, I know that I had to do it when I was running for uh, Attorney General. So, this is John Smetank on With Respect. Bart, when we broke, you were talking about fascinating issues. You're talking about uh, a, an agenda of changing the atmosphere. I know I've talked to many, I know many people in Washington and, and around the country who talk about it, but, but I'm not sure that, that I concede that they're all really doing it. And what, what steps do you take and on what issues? All right, let's take the environment, for example. There are different points of view on the environment. There are those people who believe that uh, climate change uh, is caused or substantially aided by human in intervention. There are others who think that's not true, that there's a sort of a uh, history in the history of the globe, the world, uh, over the centuries and millennia, these periods of uh, heat and cold and whatnot, uh, are part of a cyclical uh, program. So some people hold very strong opinions on both sides. How do you bring them together, Bart? 
That's the, and that's just taking one issue, but crime. Uh, I hear talk about crime in the streets. I hear talk murders. I hear talk about um, inflation, about party um, parties who are suffering because of the inability to buy you know, gas or whatever it is at a particular time. We're not doing well. I just heard about interest rates going up for home building and home buying. So yeah, all of those terrible. things, how, yeah. how do you address, help address? You can't just sit and wait, I would say, for something to happen at, before 2024. Your one vote is going to be to sanction whatever election it is. You got, what's in the middle, though? What, what do you do in the middle? Oh, yeah. Great question, John. I mean, because I, I, I sure didn't mean to imply that I wasn't going to be a very active legislator. Uh, there are so many issues that I, I, I care so much about, and, uh, you know, certainly the environment is one of them. I mean, the, but the biggest issues right now in South Michigan are, are, are economic issues, uh, although maybe the most important issue in the election will be reproductive rights. Uh, but, you know, with, with economic issues, uh, there's just, you know, there's so much that, has to be done. Uh, you know, I, I think it's unfair when, when people try and imply that it's by inflation. Uh, you know, the inflation was, uh, uh, you know, caused by uh, the stimulus payments, putting more money into people's pockets. But uh, due to the pandemic, they couldn't get out and spend it. So uh, that, uh, when it finally eased up, uh, they, they wanted to go out and spend, but due to uh, people not working during the pandemic and other bottleneck issues, supply chain was disrupted, and uh, you know there, w- there was just less goods than what people wanted. That always causes inflation. Uh, so it's not the, p- the fault of either party. Uh, if you want to find somebody, if you need somebody to, uh, to, to blame, I would suggest the Federal Reserve Board. I think maybe they should have acted a little bit uh, more quickly than than they did, but there's still things that we can do. Uh, you know, I do support uh, buying American in uh, uh, certain key industries. We've got to protect those so that we don't have the bottleneck problems in the future. I'm all for increasing the budget to the uh, Federal Trade Commission because uh, we need increased antitrust enforcement. Big oil, big pharma did a lot of uh, price gouging during the uh, pandemic and that's been a big cause uh, of, of inflation I support uh, uh, strengthening unions the PRO Act uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it it's a, it's a wonderful act that passed the House it's got about a dozen key provisions to it that goes a long way to leveling the playing field between labor and uh, uh, employers but it's probably unlikely that it'll pass the Senate anytime soon because that's the type of act that requires 60 votes. But like in the Inflation Adjustment Act, we just snuck in one of the most important provisions uh, uh, that was from the PRO Act. So we're going to have to do what we can in Congress to pass as much of that as possible. I support the uh, federal uh, raising the federal minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. Obviously, that would be great for earners, but it's not bad for Michigan business either because, as it is right now, businesses are operating at such a competitive disadvantage with the states that surround them. Uh, 
agriculture is another big issue for me. Uh, somewhat shockingly, uh, you know, on the Agriculture Committee in Congress, there's 51 members. And with as much agriculture as we have in Michigan, you'd think we'd have a handful of them. It turns out we have zero. Uh, so I have pledged that that will be my first choice for a committee assignment to serve on the Agriculture Committee to work on uh, the 2023 Farm Bill, to work on uh, increased uh, broadband and infrastructure for farmers. And farmers really need labor help. Uh, right now, there's uh, cherries just not being picked, left to die on the tree because uh, there's not enough labor in South Michigan. So uh, a couple of big issues there. One is obviously immigration, the issue that we've needed uh, to solve for a decade. Uh, so we've we got to work on that. But another one that's uh, more doable, more practical, is we have a, uh, a visa program called the H-2A visa program that allows migrant workers to uh, come in and work on a temporary basis. And it, the way it's set up now, it's just too costly, and uh, the red tape in the program is, is astounding. And, so, and as a result, Farmers aren't using it as much as they'd like to, so I would really like to work on some uh, modifications to that program. Uh, another important thing I want to do is protect Social Security. The Republicans, and i got to say, this shows a lot of nerve on their part, are, again, making big noises about major changes to the program. Uh, and, and the one that I just find the most troubling of all is this suggestion that there be an annual reauthorization of the program. And I can't even imagine the mess if Congress, if, if Republicans and Democrats each year had to agree to authorize the Social Security problem, the program. It's just incredibly wrongheaded, so I want to protect every penny that our, our seniors have coming, and I would like to increase the benefits to seniors. And we can do that by lifting the FICA cap on incomes over uh, $400,000. Uh, reproductive rights, another huge issue. Here, I think uh, in Congress, we need people that are going to play defense because, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the hard-won rights that have uh, uh, been obtained in the last uh, decade or so, they're really going to be at uh, risk once, uh, if there's more Republicans such as my opponent. Uh, I mean, Tim Wahlberg, he, he, he's just elated over Dobbs overruling Roe versus Wade. He recently voted against same-sex marriage, contraception. I think that all those things could be attacked in a Republican Congress with a Republican president. So we need to, uh, to defend against them. Well, you have described about uh, one or two centuries worth of, of, of work to get done. That, now, that's what I'm talking about is, you know, specific things that you are put, you're going to be aiming your energy at uh, right. to solve these problems. Uh, yep. Now I want to ask you another question. That is, one of the problems that in any organization, in any family, uh, people have to do deal with, and sometimes they don't, is called accountability. How do we know, and I'll ask, I'm going to ask this of every candidate I talk to, how can we judge your effectiveness at the end of your two-year term? Is there some benchmark that you can give us that um, will, you know, we can say, okay, you know, okay, Bart, what's the deal? We, you said you were going to do X. 
and it hasn't been done. Or you've done Y, you said you can do Y, and you did it. So what are those for you? Yeah, I mean, because you raise a great point. I am just one of 435 members of Congress. Mm-hmm. So we, we, it, it's hard to uh, judge what I've done congressionally based on results. But what I can do is I can make South Michigan feel like they have a representative again. Uh, you know, again, it gets back to this model of uh, listen and respect. And, and, and my opponent is someone who doesn't have town hall meetings that he invites Democrats to. He uh, uh, says that uh, uh, you know, security reasons in uh, uh, Washington preclude him from announcing them in advance, although he sends invitations out to, uh, uh, to Republicans. Uh, and if, when I am the congressman, no one is going to feel like I am just representing a political team, a political party. They're going to know, they're going to feel that I am representing all of South Michigan and trying to do what's best for them. So I think if they don't, if, if, if they don't have that feeling at the end of two years, then I will have failed. All right. And then beyond that, I think they'll hopefully they'll just see that, you know, I'm working my butt off trying to do what I can. Well, that, you know, that, that is a, a view that, unfortunately, too many in our society uh, do not uh, attribute to people in politics, not just Congress, but everybody. Oh, they're not, they're not doing anything. They're, they're lazy. They're just collecting a paycheck. And it is important for, go- for government not only to do good things, but to also appear to be doing what they're paid for, which is to uh, make the, the society better. So I'm, I, I wish you well on all of the points that you have raised uh, in dealing with them, and uh, especially the part about bringing people together. There is a the famous quote of uh, Benjamin Franklin after the the uh, Constitution was drafted. And he was asked, <laughs> they walked out of the building, somebody asked Mr. Franklin, what kind of a government do we have? And he <laughs> said, a republic, if you can keep it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and the other thing is, we, uh, we are constantly faced with... Uh, um, Wise people who say, "Well, back in the days of the Greeks, you know, we we uh, they they moaned about how things were going and uh, how the the young people of of uh, Athens were falling apart." And I happen to have a great deal of confidence in the young people and the old people, if they're given the chance to make a to make a good, uh, thoughtful decision to get into or to support politicians. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I've enjoyed your conversa- our conversation with you, and I wish you the best in everything. I don't choose sides, uh, but I do uh, congratulate you for getting in there and trying. Well, that's very appreciated, John. Good. We have just been talking to Bart Goldberg, who is the uh, candidate for the 5th Congressional District from the Democratic Party. And he is a New Buffalo resident and is... Um, uh, has run before for political office and is now trying it again. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, John. Have a great night. Take care. Bye.
Hello. Our guest today is Tim Wahlberg. He is the United States Congressman for the 5th Congressional District of the state of Michigan. And he's running for re-election to that, to that office. It's a new district. We'll talk a little bit about the newness of it. But uh, let's get started. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Good to be with you. Likewise. Good, good talking to you again. Uh, full disclosure, we've, uh, we met uh, some years ago, many years, too many years ago, I think, Tim, uh, when I was running for a different office and uh, you, were, uh, you were starting off in life. Uh, I should ask you the question I do also ask everybody is, have you seen your psychiatrist uh, before this? Because you know, I always think that's a good idea before anybody runs for public office these days. It's a rough, rough go, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, hard, a hard position. Well, well, it's, it certainly is an interesting position. And uh, I often tell people, listen, I can't complain about it since uh, nobody put a gun to my head to run for it. So, <laughs> and having, having done this for a few years, um, I, I have to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable privilege to stand and uh, ultimately be elected by a, a constituency of however large it is to represent them in, in the uh, most uh, frustrating governmental system in the world and uh, the worst system, I think, in the world for government except for all of the others. <laughs> it still, still is the best system, and I'm delighted to have been part of it for some time. Hopefully we'll make a difference. Well, that's a good question. Um, hopefully, can we do it? So let, let's start off by this. Um, we have, after the uh, reapportionment of the decennial census, we have a, a new district that uh, we here in the western part of the state are involved in, and, and uh, you're representing a, a district which extends from, uh, from Lake to Shining Lake, from Lake Erie to Lake uh, Michigan. How, what does this district look like, and, and how, did, how does it work? Well, it's, you know, redistricting takes place outside of your ability to control it for the most part, and you uh, receive what is ultimately given to you. And, yes, this one goes from basically from the Illinois border in Lake Michigan to the Canadian border in Lake Erie. Uh, the entire southern border, uh, including Monroe, Lenaway, Hillsdale, Branch, uh, St. Joe, um, St. Joseph County, uh, Cass County, and... Uh, most of the land space, uh, at least two-thirds of the land space of Berrien County from basically Stevensville South. So it's a, a wide-reaching district, uh, as you say, from sea to shining sea. It also includes Jackson uh, County, which I've represented now for uh, 14 years, uh, which is the birthplace of the Republican Party. And uh, also, I get back most of Calhoun County that I represented in my first uh, four uh, years, two terms in Congress as well. So um, the advice that John Dingell gave me when I received uh, Monroe County uh, that he and, and his father had represented for many years in the last uh, reapportionment, uh, redistricting, he said, don't give away a friend. I'm glad I didn't give away a Calhoun County as a friend because <laughs> I have him back now. But <laughs> it's a district. It's it's a great district. It's, it's, um, it's the most conservative district I've ever represented. It's, uh, John, you probably know I've represented uh, two districts in my time in office. Both of them were R1, R2 districts, which means they were swing districts, um, basically 50-50. And when you have the bedroom community for University of Michigan, as well as the bedroom community for Michigan State and state government in it, 
Hillsdale Cottage isn't isn't all that big that makes too much difference. <laughs> we have to learn how to work work with the other side of the aisle and still and still keep your promises as a conservative. Well, Tim, t- tell us something about your background. Where did you where do you come from originally, and uh, how did you get to where you're at? <laughs> I grew up I grew up in the south side of Chicago, uh, near South Side, and then we moved to Calumet City, which was still in Cook County and historic place of Al Capone and others that had uh, gone through that area. I got to ask uh, you this Polish. before you, before you go any further. We're we're on the south side because I'm originally from the south side of Chicago, also. Yeah, Calumet City, uh, initially in, at uh, 73rd in Yale. Uh, <laughs> that was where I, I began the first five years of my life, and then we moved uh, to Calumet City, and that was where I spent uh, the rest of my first 23 years of my life um, in Calumet City, uh, going to school there, uh, grade school, high school, and then uh, started out university at Western Illinois University, majoring in forestry and land management, and uh, ultimately, uh, God kind of changed directions in my life at university. And uh, lo and behold, uh, rather than going toward uh, protecting, defending, developing, and uh, securing natural resources and trees and other things, I went back to downtown Chicago to Divinity School. And ultimately, uh, after graduating from there, took my first pastorate in, in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area. Uh, spent five years in the pastorate there and then felt a need for further education and came back to Wheaton College Graduate School and got my master's there and planned to go back to uh, Fort Wayne uh, area and uh, ultimately was called to a church in the uh, the grand community of Tipton, Michigan, uh, out in the, as I say, in the suburbs of Tipton, which is <laughs> full-on country living uh, and it was a cross-cultural experience for me that I have never, never come to regret. It was a wonderful opportunity, and that's where I still live to this day. How, how do you describe um, that cross-cultural experience? Now, I can understand the south side of Chicago as one interesting uh, culture. But what, how do you, the, the district that you're in is a, is a uh, wide-ranging district. What is it composed of? Well, uh, you know, growing up in the South Side, inner city uh, type type life, spending most of my time in and around Chicago, my education for the most part in and around Chicago. Now that was the experience to come out to the country. Though I'd spent some uh, portions of summers on my uncle's hog and cash crop farm in Iowa, I certainly was still considered a rube. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so to come out to uh, real rural living, um, where when I moved in here, I used to say there are probably more dairy cattle, uh, dairy cows than there were human beings, and that was probably right. Um, and so to get into a farming community and begin to learn as a pastor uh, and how to um, minister within the community and uh, come to see that uh, really down deep all people are, are the same, all come with the same problems, and some of the same solutions work for people both rural and, and urban and understand their hearts hearts have passions and desires and good points and bad points rough points uh, it, it all comes around so it was a great great learning experience for me to come out to a community like that and begin to uh, encapsulate myself in the community even even some humorous aspects of learning how to farm and 
and uh, doing some strange things on tractors and farm implements <laughs> that uh, still leave uh, some of my neighbors laughing at uh, at my learning experiences going on there. It was it was one of those things that uh, allowed yourself to enculturate in, into an area, and I think that served me well in politics as well because every day is a new day. Every every new issue is something you need to learn about, and the people you need to come in contact with all our people with uh, ideas and expressions of their life that you need to learn how to deal with it as well. Now, all right, I can understand farming. I can understand the ministry. I can understand a lot of things, but politics? How did you get into politics? Well, I often joke that uh, I spent 10 years in the pasture before going to the dark side. <laughs> um, but I say that jokingly because I found it to be a an extremely enriching place, and thinking as a minister, I guess maybe could could see me now as continuing my ministry. Hopefully, uh, I like to tell people when they ask me, "What's what's the best thing that you can say about yourself since you've been in politics 16 years in the state house and now 14 years in Congress?" And I say, I think I can safely say I'm the same Tim Wahlberg that I was when I went into into office. Um, I, I, I think I still recognize myself as um, a person, um, no better, no worse than anyone else, uh, a guy that wants to do his best to represent the people. Um, I, I, I still uh, believe that I hitch up my pants the same way every other male hitches up their pants every morning and gets out to work. And um, so when I was asked to run, and literally I was asked to run for the state house because of position I'd taken on life. I'm pro-life, always was pro-life, but that was back in early days after Roe v. Wade, and um, uh, there was a representative, a Republican representative in the State House at the time representing us who was taking the position of, of uh, pro-abortion, and uh, I had attempted, along with the right to life of the community, to change his mind. We weren't able to do that, and ultimately the organization asked if I would run against him, and I said, uh, no, of course not. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm a pastor. I'm not mm -hmm. a politician. But to make a long story short, John, they prevailed on me to at least walk through the door and see if it would close. It didn't close. I defeated the incumbent in the primary, went on to win the election in the general, and stayed there for 16 years representing uh, the 40th and then the 52nd for that that period of 16 years. That That's what got me into it. And I found a place that I could use abilities, talents, desires, uh, and, and do it for a, a large... Hello? Hello? Hello, yeah. Yeah, you broke up there, right? I lost you. Uh, all right, the question I have now is... What have you, what are the areas, aside from the issue about uh, pro-life, uh, what are the issues that you've engaged in and you think need to be engaged in by the congressman for the for the next two years, whether it's you or uh, your opponent? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, the life issue, of course, is being settled by the people of Michigan here. Uh, it's, it's been thrown back to the states, uh, and I certainly want to see it to go the way of life. Um, but uh, the other issues, I think, are identified by the committees in which I fought to stay on in Congress. And indeed, you have to fight in Congress to get on some key committees. And one of 
the toughest committees to get on because it's the oldest standing committee in all of Congress with the most purview and issues of subject of all of Congress, that's energy and commerce. And I serve on there on the energy subcommittee as well as telecommunications subcommittee. So I've been a, a real advocate for uh, having an all of the above energy plan. And I think we've seen the need for it with what's broken out in Ukraine now and uh, what we've seen take place in Europe with their inability to care for themselves uh, because they've had to buy resources from, from Russia. I think uh, as, as a conservative, um, I also need to be concerned about being a good steward of the resources we have. And I think we showed that we could do that uh, during the last administration of being totally energy independent, of having natural gas, uh, petroleum resources, as well as having an all of the above plan with the renew renewables also in the mix. But we didn't get to be the clean country we are, nor clean up our environment and our air quality um, uh, without natural gas, clean natural gas. And I think until we get places like uh, China, India, and others uh, to do the same thing, uh, we're, we're, we're really not going to do much changing by forcing ourselves into a period of loss by going totally green. It'll never work. It hasn't worked and it won't work. So that'll be an area I continue to push in telecommunications area. Uh, one of the greatest boon to communications that we have out there is the Internet, uh, an Internet of ideas as well as communication. That has to be free. And because the United States developed it, we allowed the private sector to develop it. It didn't get government control like uh, President Obama wanted with uh, net neutrality. Uh, we've been able to see massive, massive development and usage of uh, telecommunications, technology, big tech, et cetera. However, they have to play the game fair as well. And we can't see telecommunications get into a place where they are picking winning losers and deciding what information gets out and what uh, gets covered uh, underground. So um, that's an area we'll continue to work in. I also um, have been hev heavily involved with the issue of, of uh, opioids, fentanyl, illicit drugs and trying to push back against that and on our energy and commerce committee that is a significant area that we've worked on and finally i would move over to a committee i've fought to keep a waiver to stay on i've been on for 14 years that's education and labor committee soon i believe if the republicans take the majority back which i think we will to be renamed to the education and workforce committee uh, you can only be on one committee if you're on an A-plus committee like Energy and Commerce. There are only three in Congress. So to be on a second committee, you, you have to fight for the waiver. And uh, the area of education is important to me, but also labor. I come from a labor state. I come from a state, thankfully now, that is the right to work, uh, that we have unions and unions there when needed to represent people. But if everything is going well and the employer is doing well with the employees and the employees want to uh, not be union represented, but to represent themselves, that ought to be the freedom as well. So in the area of education, of allowing choice, to have education f that meets the needs of each individual child, and having uh, labor opportunities, workforce opportunities that allow you to thrive in the workplace that you desire in the way that you desire it is, I think, something val valuable to continue pushing. And so those will be areas that I will continue to work in. That was good. Now, I can talk, uh, I, I'm sure you can talk for quite a while and we can come back, but we are going to take a break right now. 
Uh, this is John Smutanka, Ron with respect, and we're talking to Congressman Tim Wahlberg, who is running for re-election to the 5th Congressional District of the United States Congress. We'll be right back. back on with respect with Congressman Tim Wahlberg, who is the United States representative uh, in Congress for the 5th Congressional District in the state of Michigan. This is John Smetanka. Congressman, we, when we broke, you were talking about a whole series of issues that uh, are, you know, you, you said are important to you. And um, could you take one of those, each, each one of those uh, issues and kind of figure out for us what is it that Congress can do as opposed to what um, the states or the people can do? Yeah, a good question. Let, let's take the energy issue. Um, I'm a member of, as I said, the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and I serve on the Energy Subcommittee. But I'm also one of the charter members of the uh, Conservative Climate Caucus. Now, that strikes fear into my conservatives' <laughs> thought patterns, I'm sure, John, when they hear anything connected with climate. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I'm on that caucus because we believe that conservatives need to have a place at the table if we're not going to allow craziness to take place that really takes us away from being energy sufficient uh, for at least for our country and then hopefully to develop a pattern that other countries can, can follow as well. Um, I was over in Brussels uh, with two of my colleagues on the uh, climate, the Conservative Climate Caucus, meeting with um, a lot of the climate people in Brussels with the European Union and then went to the Netherlands and then up to Sweden. And the common question we asked was, number one, how do you, how do you provide energy for your countries? And they talked about all the renewables they use and um, felt that that was going to satisfy them for the future very well. And then uh, either myself or one of my colleagues would say the, the question we always ended up asking, well, what about baseload? Uh, that big power you need for manufacturing, for uh, all of the technology that's out there. And they say, oh, we've got that taken care of. Of course, we knew the answer when we asked them, well, how do you have that taken care of? And ultimately they say, well, we buy it. Who do you buy it from? And then they put their heads down and say, well, R Russia at this time. Well, that very week that we were there, uh, the Ukraine war broke out. And then all things has gone off. And uh, so I think it's a perfect illustration that we have to be willing as the United States to continue through innovation, uh, through development of our resources, uh, through science, uh, until we find something better, for instance, natural gas that provides the base load for our 
production of energy that supplies electricity to our homes and our businesses that uh, powers the internet, um, we uh, should not simply go the way of Europe. We found that that doesn't work by going totally green. Electrification of vehicles may be great, but let's let the consumer decide in consultation and cooperation with business and industry as well. Let's, let's do what will work the best. There are other options that are available. Let's let innovation be the king and, and queen, as it were, in moving us forward. So um, we saw what took place in the last administration when we went to an all-of-the-above energy plan. We developed resources not only on our private lands but also on federal lands, did exploration. We, we mined, we drilled, we did it clean and effective, and we got to a point where we had all the resources we needed. We continued to develop uh, alternative resources as well, and we expanded our ability to export our resources. We didn't need to go on our hands and knees begging to Saudi Arabia or OPEC to uh, supply us with energy. We were able to say to them, if, if you want to be a good player with us, we're willing to do that. Otherwise, we have the resources necessary. We don't need yours. Thank you. That's an issue that came as a result of federal legislation, federal activity, and some executive orders from President Trump at the time that showed that we could impact the entire world, not necessarily only the United States and all of its 50 states together by doing the right thing and planning for the future through innovation as opposed to doing politically correct things. That's um, some interesting points you've made about the environment and energy, but what about also uh, specific things uh, in the education department? I think you mentioned uh, choice of schools and whatnot, but how does that play out in improving how things are going? Yeah, I think, you know, competition is always good. It, It expands our ability to find new ways of doing things, and I think education should have always been a place of, of development to meet the needs of each individual student, not just students in mass. And um, possibly one of the silver linings from the pandemic was the opportunity of kids being at home and being online, Zoom classrooms, uh, virtual classroom experiences, and parents having really the first time a comprehensive opportunity to see what was going on in the classroom. And I think some of them became very frustrated with that not only the fact that uh, we had uh, governors like our own closed classrooms down for extended periods of time way beyond reality, but parents saw some of the subjects and the approaches that were being taught their kids without knowledge of themselves. And um, that, that caused some concerns which brought them to school boards and ultimately saw an arrogance that said, no, it's our way or the highway. Well, that's not the way it works. And so I think we have an opportunity uh, in higher in, in in the federal government, uh, to really uh, devolve ourselves as much as possible from uh, putting our fingers into the pie of of education in the states, uh, to leave as much resources of money wise back in the states for education, to reduce the impact of federal government on states' involvement in education, but but to find a way whereby tax dollars. Uh, can stay in the parents' hands to be used for education, uh, the education of their kids by the best means possible. And that's true choice in education, whether it be public school, whether it be private school, whether it be parochial school, whether it be an alternative school, whether it be a 
a charter school or whether it even be homeschool. We know that all of those work well for certain kids, but let's give the parents in consultation with educators the opportunity to make the best decision and then really promote education again as something that is vital and give teachers the respect as a result of saying, uh, we want you to achieve. If you achieve well, the dollars will flow from parents to your schools. If not, uh, then you're going to have to find a way to beef up your act in such a way you can bring those students in again. I think that's going to work very well. We've seen it in competitive business and industry. We've seen it in higher education. Uh, there is no ultimate control of the federal government or even state governments on our universities and our colleges uh, other than some finances that are there. Uh, and there's competition that goes for world players as well. I think we can do the same in our K-12 education. And I think that comes from, in, a many, in many ways, the federal government saying it is the state's responsibility and more importantly, it's local schools and communities' responsibility to provide education. Let's find a way that we can foster that and, and ultimately get out of the way. One of the th things you re uh, talked about just a, a second ago is about parents having been upset about how their schools are being run. Um, some parents, other parents are not, whatever. I'm not uh, judging that. I am, however, interested in your views on the protests. Now, this protest of uh, governmental bodies and governmental uh, individuals like yourself have been going on for as long as this country's been around. Uh, it seems to ebb and flow depending on the issues and whatnot. Uh, we've had some very uh, difficult situations where uh, there was violence or uh, interference with how government is, was working. What are your views on how uh, the government itself should react to uh, protests and and, uh, and and to the extent it happens violence yeah they, they, I think in our in our wonderful country we've always espoused uh, citizen involvement in fact that was the reason why um, the founders of our country as they debated even term limits uh, for federal government they said no because once you do that um, you take away the reason for people to remain interested, active, and involved in their governmental system and, and have genuine oversight over who they've elected. Don't, don't lose track of them. Uh, and I think that's important to allow First Amendment liberties of dissent, uh, demonstration, activity, uh, but not violence. Uh, that's gone too far. Uh, that's, that's not how it should be. That's not how our democratic system of government was established under a constitution that gave the benefit of people having the right to dissent, but not to dissent in a way uh, that, that causes violence or becomes illegal. In what we the saw in the so-called summer of love two years ago was not the way it's intended. When you're burning cities down and shooting police officers and breaking in store, into store windows, and that's not how it should work. Um, but parents going to a school board and saying, we will not be told that we don't have control of our kids. We will not be told that we shouldn't have the responsibility for determining what should be in the classroom and what shouldn't be. Uh, you, you work for us. Now, had we had more opportunities for choice in education, 
some of those parents could have said, if we'd love to keep our kids here, but if you're going to teach them things that go directly against our beliefs and our value system, we'll, we'll go to another setting of, of education that will fit our, our lifestyle and our, our kids better. Okay. So I've got a, I have a, 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 just a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to put the same question to you I do to all uh, candidates, and that is you've got a two-year term if you win. How do we judge at the end of that two-year period how, whether you are accountable, probably you are accountable to the public, and how do we dis- determine whether or not you did a good job? Yeah, well, I think they need to see me doing what I said I would do. Um, I don't think they can judge me on the basis of whether ultimately it gets to the end of the pipeline, as, for instance, signed into law by President Biden. We'll have challenges to do that. But I think they ought to be—they ought to know that I'm speaking up for educational opportunities. They ought to know that I'm speaking up and proposing legislation and ideas, and combining with Republicans and maybe even Democrats uh, to to move issues forward on on um, on fentanyl, opioid, heroin abuse type legislation. They ought to know that I'm fighting to secure the border. That I'm developing uh, better methods of getting energy. Uh, in, in an all-of-love plan and getting that on the table for discussions and hopefully Im- implementation. I think they ought to be able to see as well uh, that uh, that shows in, in um, for instance, uh, I'm not only the most, uh, according to American Conservative Union and others, the most conservative member of the Michigan delegation, but I've also been o- awarded the, uh, the, I guess, the acknowledgement of being the most effective because the Center for Legislative Effectiveness out of Vanderbilt University and University of Virginia classified me as that very thing because I could work across the aisle. Knowing the line that's there that I can't cross and still be the conservative I represent myself to be, but knowing that there are Democrats and Republicans that can come together around common issues and at least move something forward that makes sense for people and go back and get something further in the future if that needs be. So if people see that, I think they will know that I've I've done my job and kept my promise. Congressman Tim Wahlberg, thank you very much for joining us. We wish you, as we do all candidates for all political office, uh, the best of luck in your life and uh, working for the people of of this country. John, good to be with you. Thanks so much. Yes, this is John Smetanka. And with respect, and remember, vote, vote, and vote. Not three times, but it's just emphasizing get out and vote. Thank you, and... See you next week.